This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the financial services industry. Addressing those challenging topics, embracing diverse perspectives and bringing authentic conversation. Our aim is to inspire and motivate the finance sector towards change, creating an inclusive industry that we can all be proud to be a part of. On this week's Remote Risky Mix podcast, we're joined by someone who I think is one pretty cool lady. Hayley Maynard works in strategy at Chaucer, the specialty reinsurance group, and holds a PhD in geospatial econometrics, and I'm certainly hoping that you're going to actually explain what that means to me later on. Oh, and she also spent five years living in a van, chasing her passion for wine, climbing, surfing and ultramarathoning. Thanks for joining us today on the Risky Mix podcast, Hayley. Hey, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, okay, so we like to kind of dive in with an icebreaker question to get to know you a bit better. So perhaps you can tell us what you're passionate about. And I imagine you've probably actually got a few passions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, good question. I... I suppose I'm passionate about everything. So maybe it's better (laughs) to tell you what I'm motivated by. Um, I I think for me, I love learning and I love doing and um, that, that that's across everything. Right. So uh, I love music. I love making music, writing music. I love uh, moving my body. I love surfing, climbing. You said ultra marathons. I love, I love learning. That's why I did. That's why I did my PhD and my postdoc just around curiosity so honestly it's everything I just love life I'm it oh that is a great outlook but so before we go on to the next question actually I'm gonna I am gonna jump in there and ask about the PhD and what what that topic is what is that all about tell us yeah what what is that actually (laughs) I don't even know I feel like with PhDs the longer you make the name the less people ask you about them Uh, people come with these really ridiculous long names uh No, so geospatial econometrics use the statistical toolkit to solve economic problems. But normally economic problems just have a temporal dimension. So you just look across time. And so when you say geospatial, it means you add in the spatial dimension as well. So, I mean, in a nutshell, I I guess I spent about five years trying to maximize profit spatially. And I I focus a lot, did my PhD in wine and other agricultural um, commodities. And then I moved into um, biodiesel. But basically, resource focus, very resource heavy. Wow. Does that kind of answer it? or? I mean, at a high level. I don't know, Raj, (laughs) how how do you feel about it? (laughs) Yeah, I I think I've got a very vague gist, but it sounds very cool. (laughs) Basically, let's let's maximize profit, Uh, make better decisions so we can make more money. Got it. Nice. Okay, let's take that. Yeah, we're, we're on board with that. Um, so, so let's, uh, so I want to hear all about your, your story. And I, I've heard a bit about it before. Um, and it was fascinating. So perhaps you can let our listeners know. Um, and you've touched on wine already. And Raj and I love a glass of wine slash a bottle. So please do elaborate <laughs> on that area. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I love wine as well. Um, so no, so so I guess, I I grew up in California. I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, which is down south. And, um, and then I, I did my undergrad in California. And I think that was kind of when I started, started to live in my car. Um, And, and that was because I found, I found climbing and, and, um, and I always loved to surf and I always loved to run. And it was really when I went to uni that I got really into doing longer, longer distances. And so, um, 
I think it's important that you know that because the jobs that I effectively focused on in wine were mostly vintage jobs. So that means they, they only go for three or four months. It's during harvest. And I'm, most of the time I was working in either the cellar or in, in the vineyards, um, though I did do a little bit in the lab as well. And, and that's, I mean, if I, I loved, I loved that because you're working with your hands, you're creating a substance that is a, a really beautiful combination of art and science. Um, but then it ends and you can go back to living this nomadic life and you have some money and you can then pursue your other passions. And so I really liked that balance of work really, really hard, then play really, really hard. Right. The other really great thing about wine is that it takes you to, to really beautiful places all around the world. And because yeah. you have the two hemispheres, you can do two harvests in a year. Um, and, and, that I think I don't know if it's naturally or if it's just by coincidence, but a lot of a lot of wonderful winemaking regions also have really insane climbing and or surfing. Um, so it, it just worked out really well. So that was just a it was just a lifestyle that that worked for me and and yeah. So I, I worked around California, Nevada, and uh, New Zealand and Australia. I mean, and it's just it's. I mean, I can't imagine doing something like that because I, I, I think probably because of my, my background, my parents are Indian. I think they would have freaked out if I was like, that, that is my lifestyle for, for six years. But I mean, I, I, so I'm really like admiring of that. What then made you sort of move from that into insurance? <laughs> yeah, why? Why did you do that? <laughs> it sounds um. ideal. <laughs> Um, what a good question. Okay. So I, so I, so like I said, I grew up in California, kind of traveled all around, all around California. No, all around the U S uh, climbing, um, running, and then, you know, making trips to the coast to surf Canada. I spent quite a bit of time in Costa Rica, but then when I went to New Zealand to do a vintage there, I ended up just staying there for a year okay. and just loved it. I met my partner there. And then it was around that time we were deciding to leave New Zealand. We were kind of, my partner's from England. We were looking, where should we move in the world? And we decided to move to Australia and we moved to Margaret River, uh, which is a wine growing region in, um, in Western Australia. It's very, very remote. It's like four hours south of Perth. And when I was there, I was kind of ready to stop being so transient. I was, I was kind of ready okay. to have an address. There are a lot of benefits to having an address. You can get post. Um, <laughs> You can have plates. You have a, um, it's, it's warm and dry. Uh, you can have a shower whenever you want. Uh, just many, there are many benefits to having, to having an address. So I, I was kind of ready. And, and it was just by a fluke that I, I fell into my PhD down there. Um, there I was very curious about using technology to manage vineyards better and, mm -hmm. um, and to make better wine at the end of the day. And it just so happened that there was a university that was also curious to find these answers. So we made a really good partnership. Um, and so, yeah, so I worked, I worked at that. I, that's, uh, that's how I fell into my PhD. And then after that, I, I loved what I was doing. And I did, a, like I said, I did a postdoc. So taking the same skill set, but just applying it to a, I guess I said before, biodiesel. So, yeah. and then, and then after like four or five years in Margaret River, it's very isolated. I think, you know, my partner and I, we were, we wanted to move to Sydney. And so we moved there and I finished up my, I wrapped up my postdoc in Sydney and I 
I just started looking for a job um, and I fell into insurance. That, that's really, that's it. There was, a, there was a job going, I was talking to someone who worked in, in agriculture for, I don't even remember if it was a bank or a consulting firm. And he introduced me to another guy at Allianz. And then I spoke to this guy at Allianz and he's like, I don't have a job, but you should meet this other guy who has a job. <laughs> and it was in small business. Wow. And I don't even know why they gave me the job, right? Because I didn't even know like, like what premium was. I didn't know anything about insurance. <laughs> I don't think I would even ever bought insurance before, but yeah, they gave me a job. So yeah, well done them for giving <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so, so on that point, Haley, I think that's, that's an interesting point for us to kind of uh, speak a little bit more. So, so yeah, you, you went to Allianz. You'd obviously had this amazing kind of five, six years, like it, it, being a nomad, exploring around, like doing your PhD, all that stuff. And then you moved into an industry that you had no experience in and it was all brand new to you. And how did that, how was that taken? So, you know, we're, we're kind of aware, I, I've, I've done the traveling thing and I've, I've done the break from the corporate world, right? And I was very aware of kind of gaps on my CV and that mm. kind of thing. And how, how did the company kind of take that? And yeah, did you have to do extra explaining around that? And yeah, just tell us more about that experience. Yeah, that's funny you say that, because I think that's one of the things I feel, I mean, you said, what are you passionate about? And I suppose that that would be something I feel very passionate about is, I, I hate it when people tell me I need to explain a gap on my CV or mm. if I take a, a year out that I'm taking a career break. No, I am absolutely not. I'm investing in myself and I'm going to get these new skills and this new experience that I'm going to apply to your company and you're going to get all the benefit from that. So actually with it, t- it took me a while to get a full-time job and it was because I refused to take a step back. You know, I had right. all experience you know I had a PhD and a postdoc and I had all of these people um actually it's really if you don't mind I can like share a story um so I was applying for all these jobs and I was getting rejected by all these jobs and what I would do after I was rejected it is I would I would find the person on LinkedIn who rejected me and I would invite them to get to get a coffee with me and um like 95% of the time I didn't get a response, but every now and then I would. And I would always ask them like, well, why, like, why didn't I even get an interview? And they were, they were telling me, they were like, well, because you have a PhD. So I just assumed you'd be terrible with people and you'd be, you know, like a manager and you would to deliver. Yeah. So it was my PhD. Every single time it was my PhD and I refused to take it off. And they're like, you should just take it off. And I was like, no, I'm I'm absolutely not going to do that. This is such valuable experience. Like, the skill sets that I can bring, the modeling that I can bring, but also the way I can, I can concisely deliver really technical information in an approachable way, but also, you know, quite a bridge, just a few bullet points. Like these are, this, this is a valuable, valuable skills. You should be, you should be valuing these as well. So I was clearly not doing a good enough job of selling it. And so I think by the time, by the time I'd come to Allianz, I'd found a way to explain all the value that I was bringing and how Mm. these unique experiences made me into the individual that you want to hire. And this is the reason why. And I, um, yeah, so, so yes, so I did have to explain, but I think that I'd had enough experience, you know, I think coming up with that story as to no five years living in a car and working in winery. I I have industry experience. I have practical experience. Mm -hmm. I understand how that whole entire industry works. I understand the breakdowns and and that that you can apply that to many other manufacturing and production industries. I have experience in research in storytelling. I haven't I have experience in taking technical subjects and making them really really approachable. This is what you want. 
these mm. are the things you need. And, and yeah, so I think that that, and, and I guess an, an approachable person across the table who was willing to, to, I mean, I don't want to say take a chance um, because I was also taking a chance on them, right? Like it's- yeah, Absolutely. How did you find that transition into working at Allianz, which was so different to, to what you, I'm assuming you'd, you'd done previously? What was that like for you? At Allianz, when I joined, it was the best thing, right? Because I was learning an entire new industry. It was just, it was just like a sponge, you know, just going into meetings and learning from all these really intelligent people who know yeah. so much about all these niche areas. And, and I think that I, I really did fall in love with insurance because we could go forever because insurance touches all the industries. It's not, mm. yeah. we, we, can, we can keep learning. And so I think that that was really what made me, what made me fall in love with the industry and, and, and it was, it was almost like love at first sight, you know? And, yeah. you know, and I, I think that we breed, we breed specialists and I just, I just love learning from them. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And you're, yeah, you're speaking to two, two big insurance fans. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, lo- we love what you're saying. So, so Hayley, you were in, um, you were in Allianz in Sydney. Um, and then, and then what was next? Did you, did you move up within that company? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I started out, as we said, in small business insurance, in, in product management at Allianz. And then I moved into the strategy team where I was the head of marketing competitor strategy. So that's all about bringing the outside in um, and kind of remembering that we don't operate within our own little siloed bubble. We are, yeah. we are members of a landscape. And if we don't pay attention to what happens, then we can't make the best decisions possible. Uh, and then from there, I moved to London and I, I took a job as a chief of staff for a board member responsible for specialty. Um, and that was, that was an insane job. That was one of the best jobs I've ever had. At Chaucer, I report into the chief strategy officer. Okay. There are kind of three things I look after or three parts to my job. Um, so there's innovation and there's parametrics and there's, again, this element of market and competitor. So bringing yeah. outside in. I think, um, Haley, what we should do. So thank you for telling us all about your, your career journey. I think what it'd be really good to kind of delve a bit more into is I suppose, yeah. How are the people who are either thinking of kind of taking a career break, but actually Mm. going traveling or having a gap on their CV and are thinking about how they kind of navigate that and the story they tell around that. Mm. It would be really good to get your kind of firsthand experience and tips on how they can best do that. Absolutely. What a good question. Um, I, I'll tell you how I go about how I go about um, valuing because I, I think that really comes down. Yeah. To how do you value a quote unquote soft skill? How do you value a life experience? How do you value an innate quality of yours? Because as I told you, 95% of my job is storytelling. But where does storytelling sit on your CV? Mm. Where, where does yeah. empathy sit on your CV? These are, you know, where does, where does perspective or the ability to have to sit through very difficult situations longer, where does that sit on your CV? I just think that there's these, all these, all these, the main parts of, of a person, they don't, there's no space for them on a CV. And I think that's wrong. Um, and I, I know I said this before, but I really, I hate hearing my female friends or my male friends say that, they're, they're going to have to put their career on hold while they take a year off to look after a new child. Yeah. Right. No, you're, you're investing in yourself. You're, 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 you're building, you're growing, you're helping a new human set him or herself up 
for the best possible life, right? So you're actually investing in, in yourself. You're doing work on yourself. Um, so you're definitely not putting your career on hold. So there's, there's kind of three steps to this. And I, I think that probably the first step is the hardest. And that's, that's noticing. That's noticing what, what the quality is or what the skill is or what, you, what you've learned. And, um, you know, I had to, I, 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 I probably other people will as well, but I had to bring in my family and my friends because I, I couldn't, I couldn't per- perhaps see the things that I was good at. And, and that's hard, right? Just bringing someone in and telling you all these amazing things about yourself. Like I'd say most people are probably not that good at <laughs> It's quite um, awkward. <laughs> it's really awkward. Hey, I think you're so amazing. Oh, thanks. Let's talk about you now. Um, <laughs> it's really hard, um, but, but you have to do it. While my CV says that I'm highly technical, I think the thing for me is that I'm really creative. Um, I think that's one of the things I try and make very, very clear throughout. And I try and weave that story throughout is that I am an intent. I think I'm a very creative person and that's important. And, um, and it adds value. So that comes to step two, which is quantifying that value, okay. right? And you should think about quantifying the value across three time horizons, right? So there's every day, there's sometimes, which is, you know, maybe like once a month, once a quarter, and then there's every now and then, and that's, you know, once, once a year, once every five years, once in your career. Um, and I, I guess if we stick with me, I can talk you through how I think that being creative adds value and what that does to the company. So I guess I think that I, as I'm, as I think I'm creative, I think that I write better emails. Um, I think that I try really hard at least to make sure that yeah. have a beginning, a middle and an end. And that if there's a call to action, it's really clear. And they're also, I try and make them enjoyable to read. Yeah. Because we all get like 5,000 emails a day. And if you just take a little bit longer to write a little bit better, people will probably read it the first time. And then you don't need to send 14 chasers and piss off all of your colleagues. <laughs> like, and that's, that's efficiency, right? Like I've just said yeah. everybody like three hours just from that one task, right? And so that's, I feel like I'm adding value every day by just making interactions a little bit clearer, a little bit easier and more honor, right? I know People say that's not a word, but it, I think it is. Um, and then if you think about it, sometimes, you know, I'd say probably once a month, once a quarter, I have to give a major presentation. Um, and that, that presentation, we need to drive a decision, whether it's a strategic portfolio decision, whether it's entering a new market, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people have sat through an 87 page slide deck full of just bullet points of text in you know font size 12 you know you just want to scream and run away like it's it's horrible most of the world most of the world uh learns visually absorbs information visually and i i think maybe i'm wrong but i think that i tell concise stories that that compel you and grab your imagination and that's important right because then i don't have to repeat it at the board meeting the next month we just the decision that time. And I think that, that that saves a lot of time. And also how many good ideas died because they weren't communicated properly. Oh, or they yeah. Communicated well. so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's horrible. This idea is mm. graveyard of really brilliant ideas that just because people didn't spend enough time on there really understanding, okay, what are, what is, what is it that I'm trying to say? What is, yeah. the, what, is the, what is the end? What is the decision we need to come to? If you just crystallize that and then put it, put it nicely, put it nicely. It doesn't have to be slides. It could be a, it could be whatever, but just yeah. 
coming to that story. And I think that that adds a lot of value. Again, it can mean, it can mean a lot either from a revenue or from a cost perspective. Notice a skill in yourself. Yeah. Quantify it. And you look at it across these different dimensions. And then you find a way to craft that and be able to explain to someone, you know, I'm a mother. I've had three, uh, I've taken three years off to look after different children that I've had. And I, my time management skills are second to none. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then being able to say that, okay. And that will save you time daily, monthly. And yeah. I, I know, you know, I think that that's a really, I think that's a, it's so important. Yeah. I think you're, you're kind of bang on with that because we, we've spoken to lots of women who have had that maternity gap and they, it, it comes across quite strongly. And actually it's something I hadn't really appreciated before speaking to them is that your confidence is really hit because, and you feel just quite nervous to go back into the workforce and that your skills have, have reduced and, you know, in one sense they may have done, but actually you've developed all these other skills that maybe we aren't thinking about enough and we're not, we're not crafting that story and we're not quantifying it and we're not selling it. It, I think that's a really good way to put it actually. And people who've had that, maybe they've had a break to go traveling or they've had a break to have kids they should absolutely be all, all like always working on that story, basically, right? Um, I yeah. can't agree more. I can't agree more. Do you think, Kaylee, that um, employees are, are becoming more aware of some of these? Because I feel like potentially we're moving now into, you know, with millennials coming to the workforce, there are more people who are wanting to take time off to travel. Um, and, you know, just in terms of where we are in our careers, uh, there we probably know a lot of friends who are going through sort of that maternity paternity cycle as well. Do you think employers are open to these sorts of um, different types of skills being developed in different, different arenas, or are you finding that there are still a lot of employers who have that, um, that initial mindset that you found back in, back in Australia, which is, uh, you know, making assumptions about these particular career, career gaps and then dismissing people. Gosh, I wish I, I wish I knew the answer. I wish I could give you a, a better data driven answer. Cause all, I think all I can really speak to is from my own mm. experience. I would love to believe that the world is changing. I think though, I, I can't control what other people see or do, but I can, what I can control is how easy I make it for that other, for that individual. Yeah. The gap to make the connection. So I think that's why it's so important to make sure you take a gap year off and you travel the world and you learn about all these new cultures. Maybe you learn a new language. Um, I think it's incumbent upon you to make it as easy as possible for your, whoever you're explaining your story to, to understand the value that is. Um, Because people aren't naturally going to make the leap. I don't think. I can't think of one person I know. Again, this is not a, you know, a universal data point. This is just my own experience and my own network. I can't think of one individual who has said having, having a child has helped their career. I think of even one individual who's said having a career break has helped my career. And that I think is really sad. And I think Hmm. all these companies talk about diversity and inclusion. And I think if you don't start putting people stuff in your in in the way that you're recruiting and in the way you're hiring you're never going to get you're never going to get true diversity because you you just can't right how can you have true diversity if you're still measuring them on how many languages you speak what's your academic profile do you have an MBA versus a PhD you know these yeah. are so archaic 
you need yeah. you need to look past that and and understand and i think recruit and retain based on the attributes and the qualities that we want in the building and and i think making the inside look more like the outside right yeah yes, completely how do you get 100% of your people actually to at work so 100% of 100% of your people and by that i mean yeah. like you know, don't, if you like to draw, don't leave that at home, bring that in the building. If you like poetry, don't leave yeah. it at home, bring that in the building. Cause I guarantee it will make you better at your job. And I think that that's, you know, a lot of that is in, incumbent upon the employer to make, to make the space. All right. We've just about run out of time. So, um, Thank you, Haley, so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And I think your experience will be so inspirational to so many young people out there who are considering alternative pathways in their career journey. So thank you. Thank you once again for your time this morning. No, no. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Haley. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at www.riskymix.uk. We'd love to hear from the inspirational individuals and companies who are walking the walk and changing the mix in our industry. And if you like what you've heard so far, please rate, review and subscribe to the Risky Mix podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter at Risky underscore Mix.